Welcome to Automators. I'm David Sparks and joined by my fellow co-host Rosemary Orchard. And we are here to talk about automating your technology to do your work for you. Hello, Rosemary. How are you today? I'm feeling very productive, David. I have a series of 43 folders in front of me. Oh, do you? Well, that's very convenient. I do. Because we have a guest today who's one of my very favorite people on the internet. Welcome to the show, Merlin Mann. Hi, David. I have like probably two or three folders left. I don't have a lot in me. But I'm, I'm also feeling very productive and I'm excited to be here. I learned so much from you people. And uh, it's it's a thrill to be here. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Yeah, well... We, you've been on the list for too long, so we're really, really happy that you could find time to join us. Um, Merlin is a guy who thinks about a lot of stuff in terms of productivity, but also I think really like you get the balance right for automation. You're one of the people that I look up to in this that, you know, automation is important, <laughs> but you don't want to get lost in it. And I always feel like you seem to find that that sweet spot. I eventually find the sweet spot after I have spent too much time on something. And I do have some good cautionary tales for you this week. But uh, no, it's, uh, it's, it's really, in it's so interesting. As I was helping, um, as I was getting prepared to visit with you all, I was thinking about all the things that I use and increasingly like how much stuff gets automated for me. But like, I still want to get that last mile of getting it the way I want. And I'll spend mm -hmm. a week on it and then just going back to the old ways. But yeah. God, what a, what a time. There's so much exciting stuff right now. Yeah, it is a lot easier than it used to be, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think so. Um, one of the questions, I mean, I don't want to jump ahead. It's your show, but I you were uh, asking me stuff like, you know, what's the first automation thing I used on a Mac or early things? And I'm, I could, cannot find this to save my life, um, but I believe it was called Quick Keys. And there was this app that you could run that would do... In some ways, it's a little bit like the way that I would use, like, um, like for example, the way y'all use Keyboard Maestro, the way that I use a Better Touch tool, but like yeah. all the way down to wait this many seconds and then click in this area. And you could create all these really wackadoo macros and Rube Goldberg devices. But, you know, it was a real crapshoot if it would work at all. I mean, and that's, you know, it's still true in some ways today. But now there's an entire community of people like Rosemary, like all these other folks that are making, like the the fellow that made the uh, what's called Thought Asylum thing for drafts. There's people out there just making an entire like worldview <laughs> inside of these apps that we get to benefit from. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It, it's amazing, and like like the stuff you're talking about is a lot of the stuff I do is the UI scripting where you you, you literally tell it click this box, which does feel mm -hmm. very tenuous, but. When it works, it's, <laughs> yes. it's a beautiful thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's how I started the show today, David. Uh, Keyboard Maestro opened Audio Hijack, waited for the right window to appear, and then clicked an image to find the right session because there's no scripting support other than opening the application. So I had to click at the image that it found. <laughs> but like, that's all happening right alongside, for example, God, I had to do something with, with actually a Brett Terpster thing. I had to use a, to log into the multi-markdown site for uh, the NV Ultra beta. And I didn't get a, I got a different kind of CAPTCHA, but I think CAPTCHAs have like run out of things. And now yeah. they're just testing my brain where it's like, pick the traffic light. I'm like, those aren't traffic lights. Those are signal lights for a train. And I know what, that is not a crosswalk. If someone tries to cross there, they will die. That's just, that's just dashed lines. Mm -hmm. Please do not use, don't let your smart robot use my incorrect thing that I said to get into the website in order to like, it's not going to produce a safer world. 
But yeah, I don't think the robots are running everything yet. But you know, you never know. It could be a simulation. I don't know. Yeah. Well, th- well the thing that always gets me is is the pole holding up the traffic light part of the traffic light. Oh, right. Or like like when you say like ah. well, select all the motor coaches. And it's like, well, that's actually like a train, like an above ground train. And Syracuse and I have talked about this a lot, where it's like, I think I know what you want me to guess, but I mm-hmm. do feel like there's a certain cost associated with getting this wrong. I have yes. all kinds of things like my phone or one password that'll lock me out if I'm if I don't get it right. I'm like, I feel so much anxiety just logging into a website because the, the robot told me to guess something wrong. Oh uh, yeah. It it is like a whole thing. Yeah. And also when you don't select it because it is wrong and then it won't let you pass unless you say that the train is a bus. And yeah. you're there going, but this isn't this isn't a bus. It's a train. Rose, they're very they're different. They're gaslighting things. us. They're just gaslighting us. This is how they're gonna win. They're they're gonna just get us used to saying things that we know are wrong. The robot knows it's right. They're just testing us. They're seeing how far they can go. Check back in a year, because I think it's gonna be a really bad scene. It's gonna be very Skynet. Well, let's see if we can fix that with Shark. All right, let's do we? this. <laughs> what, at what point though, Merlin, did you start thinking about automation as something you want to do? Hmm. I mean, just in a very general sense, the, the way that I, I would put this now, that's, I don't know, it might sound a little bit silly. Um, I think one way to think about this stuff is in terms of, if you like, friction, right? And like, this does kind of key into like the 43 folders creative work approach, which is that like, you know, the reason that you get the big bucks is because you can solve a certain kind of problem or you can think in a certain way. And there are necessary, there's a kind of necessary friction, a necessary difficulty to any knowledge work job, I think. Um, it might sound kind of obvious, but I think that's really true. Now, the, the key to that becomes, how do I reduce unnecessary friction, unnecessary effort, unnecessary uh, duplication of effort? How do I develop the wisdom to know when that friction is my job and when that friction is something that's preventing me from doing my job. It doesn't matter what your job is. I mean, I, I talk into a microphone, but that's still, that's what I do. So how do I, how do I make time for good fr- friction while working to efficiently eliminate unnecessary friction? Does, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, that definitely does. Because I have that all the time at work. So I, I've been programming a lot of things with a framework recently. And the framework includes a, a feature which can generate a bunch of stuff. But to start with, it was necessary for me to manually go ahead and create this. So I actually learned properly how everything worked. And now I'm okay to go go ahead and use the generator because I understand what magic it's doing behind the scenes. But if mm-hmm. I hadn't taken the time to you know go through all of that friction at the start, then I, I wouldn't necessarily understand exactly what was happening where. And well, my my results would not be up to standard because I haven't done that extra work. So I, I definitely get what you're mean, you mean there. And it also keys into, I think, a very important, it's not a primary purpose of getting things done, but I actually remember this fairly specifically. I was a humble brag. I was having dinner with David and his wife and and we were talking about, you know, the ability to automate. And he he waxed poetic about his days trying to create the ultimate Palm Pilot app for doing productivity and the challenge of like, he was, he's always been very skeptical of these apps that do too much automation. And, and the reason I think that's important is that once you really get into some kind of a system, whether that's getting things done or whatever that is, watering your plants, there is an impulse to try and over-automate. Um, and, and the thing that I think he said, the, the thing he said that I think is very wise is you need to trust the decisions you're making. You need to trust that you're making good decisions. And, there's, and so in the example of something like email, like, do you trust that robot 
to make the right decisions for you. If, if you use something like SaneBox, which can be a really great app for taking care of nuisance email and trying to have then the compensatory muscle of saying, well, we're going to give you a digest so you don't miss anything. Um, but it's still ultimately, do you trust like not looking at that email teaspoon by teaspoon? How much can you automate? Will you get rid of the junk? Sure. But like the problem's not junk. It's that continuum. It's that fat part, middle part of the curve of like the stuff that's neither fish nor fowl that you need to sit there and then like figure out what do I need to do? So I do think there is a balance to be struck. And, but it all, like any kind of stuff related to what we used to call life hacks, it begins with listening for an impulse or intuition that there's something here where there's an improvement opportunity. And then how do I decide what the improvement opportunity is? How do I, through some kind of iteration, how do I improve this? But how do I also know when I'm going too far with that? And, and I think with home automation in particular, it becomes very obvious when you've gone too far. When your family can't, your family feels like they have to talk to a lamp in the right tone with the right hailing <laughs> word. And you've, you've created this bespoke hell of your own design. Yeah, I'm laughing because I got woken up at three o'clock in the morning by my lights the other day because I broke an automation. Oh, I accidentally, I accidentally streamed some very loud rock music to every HomePod in the house this morning, and I get the same. It's going to all the speakers. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, I just wanted to hear some power pop, and now I woke everybody up because I forgot that they're not paired. They're you know ganged together in that that sort of ungainly interface on my phone for <laughs> saying which, which speakers I want to send to. Yeah. When you live with other people and have multiple home pods, that is a, that is a recipe. You are going to get in trouble at some point that there's just no way out. Well, it's, it's, it's so interesting. I mean, we won't have time to get into all of these kinds of things, but it is, it continues to be so interesting to me, which things each of these vendors or platforms is good for and good at. And as I sit here in the year of our Lord, 2020, November 24th, I'm sitting here and like, it's still astonishing to me that my series six watch, it takes a, I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to say it. It takes about five times as long for Siri on my watch to get and do what I'm saying on very fast Wi-Fi. Um, it's about five times slower than I want to say the Amazon lady in a tube. If I say to lady in a tube, set a 21 minute pasta timer. Well, that would be really bad pasta. Set a 10 minute pasta timer. It's like, bang, the words are barely out of my mouth and it's done. But then for, and for speakers, it's great. I can say, hey, dingus, play the latest episode of No Such Thing as a Fish upstairs. And it knows to just play it on all those speakers. It won't sound as good. So there's all these trade-offs right now. It's still, it, in some ways it feels more like the Wild West than ever right now. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I get what you mean. And also some some of these smart technologies are better at understanding the importance of what you're saying. So I had to try and set a 20 second timer when I was setting up my IKEA smart blinds. And guess what? It <laughs> took my watch 10 seconds to figure out what I meant. So I had a 30 second timer because the first 10 seconds <laughs> were it going, um, I, I think I know what you mean. Wait, do I know what you mean? Maybe I know what you mean. Oh, wait. Yeah, I figured out what you mean. I've set a 20 second timer. Only 10 seconds had already elapsed by the time it got to this point. Um, it's, it's maddening will. though, because like one of my, one of my most common, like, so I've, I've done, I've done a little bit of nerdy, very hacky stuff. Like, because it turns out though, because the Amazon lady in a tube, that family of products is faster and more able than the Apple family, at least for now, you know what I end up doing? I end up saying that thing into the Amazon product. And I will say something like, Oh gosh, now you're gonna make me think. Add um add buy flower to my shopping list or 
you know, thus and such. And then I've created, I've, I've repurposed somebody else's automator script for grabbing multiple reminders out of the reminders app. Oh yeah, by the way, I have those, I use IFTTT to send that to my reminders at the point when I now have an automation for copying reminders out of the reminders app so I can put them into task paper, that's a bridge too far, right? Mm -hmm. It would be so much easier, but I say, I say to my watch, for example, and I'm sorry, I'm always bitching about this stuff. I say, remind me, remind me, um, remind me to, uh, check the bathroom lights when I arrive at the office in 20 minutes. Now, I think this is, this is in some ways very brilliant. I love the idea that it will, whichever of those happens first, if I arrive at the office, it'll give me the reminder. If it's 20 minutes and I haven't arrived at the office, I'll also get that reminder. That's great. But you know what I get? Oh, because I do, because I'm a weirdo and have an English lady um, as my voice. My watch says something like, I'm checking with the app. I'm like, you're what? You're checking with the app? And, and it just, it, it seems very, it seems very lazy. It seems like somebody that got hired as some kind of like, I don't know, government work program and isn't, doesn't really have their heart in it. I don't know. I don't know why that is. I, I used to be so good at typing on my iPhone and now I'm terrible at typing on my iPhone. Is that all me? I don't know. Siri sucked and then Siri got better. And now I don't, now we're back. <laughs> we're back to, I don't even know. It's so unreliable. And, you know, and, and you get to something though, like home security. And I, I, you know, that really is maybe the corner case. That's the extreme case. But like, I don't want to cause problems where the police end up at my house because there was some ambiguity or confusion about what I'm trying to do. You know, I don't want to find out that my ring alarm did not arm until, you know, I've, I've gotten home. So, you know, there's all kinds of things where like the minute I leave the office, I got notifications popping up all over the place. Just informed your wife, you've left. You've got this, it's armed, it's in standby mode. It's like all this stuff and you know, the beep, 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 beep for like five minute walks in my house. It's crazy making. It, it's funny, we're, we're recording episode 64 of the Automators and I don't think we've spent this much time talking about Siri in terms of the, you know, talk to the the device as an automation tool the whole time because it isn't something really very reliable. So I don't think a lot right. of us use it uh, in that regard. And also, again, it's this confusion of like, what do we mean? Like, as, as Raymond Carver might say, what we talk about when we talk about Siri, because as as everybody yeah. kind of knows, Siri is 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 is. So let, let's talk about some things here. Uh, what about like voice recognition, uh, or what's it called? Dictation is dictation Siri? Yeah, kind of. Uh, is asking what time it is Siri? Yeah, yeah. Um, what about the thing that I love in iOS fourteen? What about the thing where it can intuit what app I'm going to want to use right now. Well, yeah, that's Siri too. I mean, that's a lot of different things to call Siri. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that, yeah. I, I imagine that's somewhat confusing for people. It's very Apple though. They take one, you know, iCloud, Siri, there's a bunch of words that mean a lot of things coming out of Apple. Oh, you mean like Apple TV where I can watch Apple TV plus on the Apple TV app of my Apple TV? <laughs> yes, exactly like that. And that's why, <laughs> because Siri suggestions are great. And I, I do believe that, you know, somewhere underneath it's all related to the same code base but at the same time there can be so many different things that they're theoretically attached to the same code base but in reality have very little to do with each other so without actually looking at the details here you know i can't tell you if siri suggestions really use the exact same stuff that the siri the voice assistant uses uh but i can say that if i swipe down on spotlight at the moment the eight siri suggestions that are there are bang on for this time of day exactly but there's also the thing the madness one of the pieces of madness for me is 
Um, you know, there's also the thing where Siri can give you suggestions. I hope we'll talk about Siri suggestions for the apps because it's just brilliant. But the other one is like a, an announced feature that I do know exists is, hey, it looks like uh, you, or so, you know, stuff like, oh, your watch is charged. I love that. But also stuff mm -hmm. like, it, you know, it looks like you've got a meeting in five minutes. Do you want to turn on Do Not Disturb? I can count on one hand the number of times that I've gotten that. And I've gone into the insane interface and I've radio buttoned every single thing. Yes, learn from Siri. Yes, give me suggestions. Yes, all the things. I don't know. I feel like Fonzie. I don't know what part of the jukebox to hit to have this always give me the DND um, thing. I, I don't know how it decides and I don't know how to motivate it to give me lots more of this and lots less of that, you know? Mm. And then yeah. you have to, also, you end up doing things like, depending on apps, like for example, with my Arlo cameras, there are times where I do, somebody's doing something in the garage and I don't want constant notifications. You can snooze that. You can snooze it for an hour. You can snooze it for 24 hours. But that's part of the app. That is not part of, of the Apple product. And so there are times where I'm just like, you know, this entire kind of notification, I wish that you could deliver quietly, you could turn off. I wish I got, a, and there's probably a shortcut where I could do this, but I would love a pop-up that says, don't give me this kind of notification for this long. But again, now what happens when you're using, for example, the Logitech Circle View camera? Logitech Circle View camera, good camera, real good, made for HomeKit. What does that mean? It does not have an app. The only way to interact with that camera is in HomeKit full stop. If you get your mm -hmm. VPN on, guess what? You can't see the camera. Because some things on HomeKit will not work. If you've ever had trouble configuring something locally, like a new device, it can be because you've got a VPN on and it can't do the stuff that it needs to do. Anyway, it's all very piece, piecemeal. And I think really so much of when we talk about automation, what we're doing, how we do it, it comes down to how do you develop the existential spackle to make all of the stuff work together in a way that improves your life rather than makes it into a complicated and confusing drag? Yeah. That is the puzzle we are all trying to solve here. Uh, because, you know, that's what we want with automation. We do want it to make life easier. And sometimes it does feel like technology is making our life harder. In my experience, <laughs> the do not disturb thing always shows up for meetings that I don't really care about because they're work meetings. So if my work phone goes off during a work meeting, then guess what? I'm going to get up and answer it. That's fine. Um, and that's part of my job description. I'm expected to do that. Sure. But during a podcast, if my phone goes off, uh, then, well, I don't want my phone going off in the first place, which is why my phone goes into do not disturb thanks to an nfc tag on my desk which is an automation yes. that i've put into place because i you know i need that to just happen without me thinking about it and so i tap yes. the nfc tag and it does the stuff so i've i've kind of worked around that matthew Casanelli also has one that's it's cool it's i think it broke a little bit and i think he fixed it but he's got a real good shortcut that i have on my watch i haven't used it in a while because it was like i said it was being a little bit hinky but you hit it and you get a pop-up and you select how long you want it to dnd for and mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's really intuitive. I, I love stuff like that. I, I do. There's so many things where I wish I'm grateful that it exists, but as with so many things in life in technology with Apple, the more you use it, the more you realize what the limitations are. And you're so like hungry for a certain kind of thing. That pop-up that says that my watch is charged. How long has the Apple watch been out? How long has it been something that is until very recently, very much tied to an iPhone and it wasn't until 2020 that we got a pop-up that says your watch is charged. Guess what I did? I created a shortcut. I created a shortcut so I could say, hey, Dingus, charge my watch. And all it would do is in 70 minutes, send me a reminder sure. that my watch was probably done charging. 
But what if it was on the stand wrong? Would I know that? No. Like, it's just, I don't know. There's so much that, that, that you can see. Once you use this stuff a lot, you see the limitations and the opportunities. And then I think sometimes that motivates us to try harder to like fill in those gaps ourselves. Well, you know, you talk about the last mile and the do not disturb one is a great example because we can brute force our way around it. We can write a shortcut that, that maybe it's tied to the word meeting in an appointment. Whenever you have an mm -hmm. appointment that has a word meeting in it. Like the way that, the way that Google Calendar tries to guess what kind of graphic yeah. to give you based on like lunch or picnic or whatever. Yeah, but mm -hmm. at the same time, Apple gets on stage once a year and says that, you know, we have a neural engine that could run one trillion operations per second or some crazy number. And all we really want is when we go in a meeting for the thing to be smart enough to go into do not disturb without us having to write an automation for it. Yeah, like, well, I don't need you to be cute about this. It's just that if there is a business, a business goal, if you like, I don't know what you call it, you know, there's a thing that I want to do. And, you know, the thought that goes through my mind, it's not particularly useful, but the thought that goes through my mind is like, I know a little bit about this stuff. I know enough to be dangerous, but like for somebody who saw one of those presentations and then tried to put it in place, I mean, just setting up an Apple TV could be, can be kind of crazy. You know, like you go to your relative's house and they all have motion smoothing turned on because they've never learned that motion smoothing is a thing. Not a huge deal, but there's all kinds of stuff where I'm like, wow, I'm like, a, I would consider myself, as we say, a power user. I'm not like a super nerd. I'm not like a programmer, but I know enough to be aware of what I can accomplish, even if I don't know how to do it right now. And I, I feel like there is a lot of stuff where like it's, you're kind of in between. It's not that easy to use and it's not that powerful with some of this stuff. And then I, like, again, I feel like that motivation is like, how do I make this easier to use? How do I make this more powerful? How do I make it so my family doesn't have to talk to a lamp? This episode of The Automators is brought to you by Fast Scripts. Get powerful script management and instant access to your scripts. Go to fastscripts.app slash auto to get 20% off. What's the point of creating all these automations to deal with the tedious tasks in your life? If you don't have instant access to those automations at the tip of your fingers, Fast Scripts is a supercharged script menu for your Mac that makes it easy to organize and run your scripts. By defining global or app specific keyboard shortcuts, you can customize the behavior of all your most used Mac apps. You can even use it to override the default keyboard shortcuts in many apps. The best part is, Fast Scripts is completely free to use with up to 10 keyboard shortcuts. So you can use it as a quick fix for your most urgent needs. And when you decide you want more than 10 shortcuts, unlock premium functionality with a one-time payment of $25. I use my Mac every day and I've tried a lot of different ways to launch scripts and there is nothing faster than fast scripts. I love the way you can use keyboard shortcuts to get everything going. In fact, after a while, you don't even remember what the keyboard shortcuts are. Your fingers just push some buttons and magic starts happening on your Mac. And that's all because of Fast Scripts. Listeners to the Automators podcast can get 20% off for a limited time. Just go to fastscripts.app slash auto, A-U-T-O, now to access the exclusive Automators discount coupon. That's fastscripts.app slash auto for 20% off. And our thanks to Fast Scripts for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Hey, let's talk a little bit about shortcuts because um, we, we were mentioning it earlier. Um, are you using shortcuts these days and, and what are the things that you're doing with it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the analogy that comes straight to mind is, uh, you know, there's, there's, um, there's cooking from scratch, 
you know, gourmet cooking from scratch because you're a chef and you know how to make food. You know, there's ordering out, there's, um, there's Blue Apron, there's Freshly. Freshly, the service that basically brings you expensive leftovers. But depending, you, they all involve eating, but they all take another, there's like different levels of expertise to that. I say that because um, I get a lot more out of shortcuts other people have made. I can kind of whack around but and make my own. But yeah, I do, I do use shortcuts. I do like shortcuts. Um, and, but like I mostly just benefit from what other people have made. So things like, like I say, like, like Matthew Casanelli stuff that Federico's put out, um, all that kind of stuff where I use it. I don't really know how it's working sometimes, but, um, I, I really like it a lot. And I, and I like shortcuts as a bridge from something like HomeKit, which can be so dumb sometimes a bridge to like, I just need a little bit more than this one bit automation. And if that's easy enough to do in shortcuts, I, I love the shortcuts exist. I love using it and I'm very excited about the future. I would agree with that. Uh, the home kit stuff, I think, really is an area that everybody could benefit from using shortcuts because you're you're exactly right. I mean, home kit only goes so far. And if there's particular lights or sensors or things you want to combine into something, writing your own shortcut script for it really isn't that hard. And it's it's a great way to kind of improve what you're getting out of it. Um, what are some examples of, of ways you're using it for HomeKit? Um, HomeKit is a is a real mixed bag for me. Um, and the when I first started getting into this stuff, the two platforms that I kind of um, got most invested in were Philips Hue lights and the Amazon sure. Voice products, because they they're both they're both real reliable. They're real good. You know, we don't we, we rent, so we we're not going to be able to like rewire our whole house. And Hue's been pretty good for that. Along the way, things have improved. There's lots more devices now that can play well. And so HomeKit has always, in some ways, been a little bit of a court of last resort for me. And I, I, want, it, I want it to be great, but it also can be maddening sometimes. I like the way that it suggests automations for you now. But as I say, some of those automations are pretty, pretty brain dead. And a lot of them assume levels of engagement that are difficult. There's so many automations out of the box in HomeKit that are based on, is everybody home? Is everybody away? I can't get my family to sign up for these things. I keep inviting my wife to things. She doesn't get the invitation. So I can't utilize those. I got to hack together a lot on my own. And sometimes it works flawlessly. Sometimes it doesn't. So I wanted, for example, I wanted, I have a hue. I, I continue to believe that sensors of different kinds are going to be the piece that makes a lot of this stuff powerful. Geolocation is an interesting idea. Geolocation is useful for omni-focus, omni right? Oh, you're near a drugstore, do this thing. Brilliant. But at your house, until we get the ultra-wide band and get those little, you know, tile-style dinguses, it's still such a blunt instrument. And I feel like sensors are the missing piece. And there's not that many sensors that are good and work with HomeKit. Mm. This is a problem that will come up again and again. So Philips Hue sensors are pretty good and they work with HomeKit. So I end up using those a lot. Here's what I wanted. All I wanted was you go into the bathroom after a certain hour, it turns on the light dimly, turns it off after a while. It's an incredibly straightforward thing you need. And I'm sure somebody who's a developer could make that. When I made it, I ran into like three different problems. Well, what happens if somebody turned the light on after they go in because they want a brighter light? Well, now when it detects your motion, it's going to turn that light way down, which is not what they wanted. 
you have one of those in your closet with the light on. Well, what if you want to spend more than five minutes in the closet? How do you, I know there's ways to address all of these things, but HomeKit gives you the very basic mm. sort of things of like, if your goal is like, when I leave the house, lock the door, like that'll mostly work. Geolocation is not very reliable. As somebody who has an office near his house, there's just myriad things where things are stepping on other things. This is not even getting into, you know what? Last week, my front porch light started shutting off around sunset. And I, I didn't even know where to begin. Well, I knew where to begin, which is like go to HomeKit and see if I accidentally did something. Then I got to go to all these different apps. All these different apps have all these. There could be somewhere in there where something got flipped the wrong way. Maybe I picked a group instead of a room. It's, you know what I'm talking about? Have you had these experiences yes. where like you cannot, and there's no log. There's no log. There's no notifications. There's certain kinds of things where you can get notifications, like some motion detectors, but I, can't, I had no way to find out what is causing this. And I had to assume there was probably something unintentionally, some dumb thing I did unintentionally. And I finally did figure it out. And when I say figure it out, I kept trying things until it got fixed. Mm -hmm. Basically the way that I would develop PHP, which is like when the page loads, I guess I'm done. <laughs> when it loads without an error, I guess I fixed it. But if you don't know what, if you have a problem and it gets fixed and you don't know how you fixed it, it's really only a half solved mm -hmm. problem. You've gotten rid of the symptoms and the annoyance, but if you don't understand what was causing the problem you nominally solved, you're not that much better off. Yeah, I, I totally get that. And especially the Home app doesn't allow you to do all of the automation options that HomeKit does, which feels like a massive oversight. Though fortunately, it's opened the door for a lot of other apps like Home Plus. So my solution to this particular problem... I'm so glad you brought yeah. up Home Plus. That's exactly... Yeah, Home Plus is the skeleton yes. key. There's so much you can do in there. It exposes so much more information about every device. Yeah. So, for example, with your bathroom light option, you know, you with Home Plus, you can say, if I detect motion and the bathroom light isn't on, then turn on the bathroom light dimly. But you can't do that in the Home app. And that feels like a maddening oversight. But at the same time... You know, I also understand that Apple want to keep this stuff relatively simple. And so the way that mm -hmm. I am yes. uh, taking the 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 keep it uh, silly simple approach is I I use the Hue app and the IKEA app to add the items to HomeKit, and that is where my my usage of the Hue app, the IKEA app, the Aquara app almost uh, ends. Uh, the Aquara app, I've got two buttons working as doorbells, and the way that they talk to their hub to make a ding-dong sound is is best done through their app. But that is the, the sole exception that I have made to this particular rule, because otherwise you do have... Every app is different. Every device yeah. is different. I want notifications for certain kinds of things that Home and HomeKit do not offer. I can only get those notifications through a third-party yeah. app. And I, I, I sent a friend recently screenshots of the, my daughter's room in like six different apps. It's incredible. It's, it's, it's just wild how different they all are. But yeah, I'd, I'd gone away from home plus for a while, but recently came back to it. And I, I guess I didn't realize like how much is in mm -hmm. there. There's so much good stuff. Yeah, in there. there really is. But I, I do think the hardware problem with home kit is one that Apple, I really just don't understand why they didn't solve it. Why Apple doesn't make their own hardware. Um, I mean, here's a company that you know, likes to charge money for stuff that you bring home and plug into your wall. And and so much of these problems to me source back to third-party hardware. We just got a, um, 
we started setting up our Christmas decorations. So I bought off Amazon from a third party some of these HomeKit enabled plugs. You know, you plug them in the wall, and mm -hmm. they say they work with HomeKit great. It's got the little um, funny little QR code thing on top of it that you scan with the HomeKit app. And my whole idea was I want to use these things, but I don't want to install another app and I don't want to deal with it, you know? And it worked. Mm -hmm. You know, I plugged it in, I scanned the code. HomeKit recognized it, it turns the lights off and turns them on, but then it's got this little alert on it saying this hardware, you know, there's a, there's a firmware update for this hardware. So I said, okay, well, let's run the firmware update. Well, to do that. Which you have to you do in a app. different app. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'm like, ah. But, but also, David, it's worth mentioning, you also have to read all of the tiny text and the tiny text will tell you, oh, by the way, there's an update available for this. You have to do that in a different app. Yeah. And not everybody reads the blah, blah text, but that's really important. This, this all happened like 12 hours ago. I install the app. I'm like, okay, do the firmware update. And then it hangs up and it doesn't do the firmware update. The third party app is garbage. I paid $15 for this plug. You know, I just want one little small Christmas tree to turn off and on, you know? <laughs> and so I give up on the app. I go back to HomeKit, right. and now it's not, no longer working in HomeKit either. So whatever I did completely screwed up the whole thing. I had to basically reset the whole device. And sometimes, like, I, I set up, I tried to set up Hoobs. I tried to set up Hoobs, the home automation out-of-the-box thing. And, oh, my God, I thought it was, I even bought the Rain Man suite. Like, I got the fancy one that was already just, like, plug-and-play, and I could not make heads nor tails of it. The entire thing, it felt like I was using some kind of a GUI for Emacs. It was so confusing to me what I was meant supposed to be doing. And then I had devices show up in home that I couldn't delete. I didn't that like, and I'm sorry, I'm just bitching at this point, but, but it's, but there is something, there is something that's like supremely frustrating about like when this moves in the wrong direction. So for example, at my office, I decided years ago when I started doing, I would have the Amazon family of products, but I would use Belkin's Wemo family of products for sensors and and lights so basically i got a bunch of these plugs for my plugs and i didn't want to do things with colors and brightness i just wanted a way that like at, you know when i come in i wanted to see that i'm here and turn on the lights long story short i don't know what's going on with belkin and wemo i think their back is not in it anymore they've been very unreliable for a long time such that when i speak to any voice device it's a pretty much a crapshoot whether it will get what i said so you know what i did I bought their bridge, their HomeKit bridge. You buy this device, you plug it into the ethernet, you plug it into the power, and you say, from now on, Hakuna Matata, run everything through the bridge, and guess what? HomeKit will work great now. Well, number two, sometimes it just, lights don't go on or off. It just, whatever doesn't work. But you know why that is? Because some people say once a week, some people say once a day. I'm here to tell you, throughout the day, multiple times per day, I pull up HomeKit and every single Wemo device is quote unquote not responding or unavailable. Mm. That's because the bridge just drops the entire connection and has to be power cycled to get it again. Now, at the point where I'm pulling a plug out of a device and plugging it back in in order to be in order to be able to say, hey, dingus, lights off, something's breaking down at that point. So on the one hand, you know, the, one of my, no time for this today, but one of my concerns with Apple is if you set aside the iPhone, it's difficult to know what is it they super care about right now? Like, what is, what is their heart really in? Is it Ted Lasso? Is it Apple TV? Like, which thing is it? I, I don't have an answer to that and I'm not trying to be coy, but I do know that, yeah, the phones are great. It's awesome. 
But like, which, what are the other things they care intensely about? If they really care about HomeKit, we'll show it. Like make, make some, make a good router. Like that has got HomeKit built in. Like make good devices for these things. Make software that's really reliable. Or just let people like Belkin, you know, strap stuff onto your system and hope that it works. But that, most people are not going to blame Pelkin for that. They're going to blame Apple for that. Yeah. If that stuff doesn't work together. So I don't know what the answer is, but I do know that it's incredibly frustrating to spend the time to get this stuff working the way you want. And then guess what? Something happened. And you know what you got now? Six, eight, nine devices are now in something called default room. What caused that to happen? I don't, I have no way of knowing. But three things from my daughter's room are now in default room. You don't, you ever get this? You ever get yep. when stuff just falls off into default room? Why? I have no idea why. Well, in my case, it was because I was playing around with Homebridge and I reset some things and that was a bad idea. I changed um, the name I of our didn't hallway to hall. And then we had a room oh. called hallway, depending on the app, because it wasn't all caught up, I guess, and something got stepped on. I had hallway yeah. and I had hall and I had default room because it just barfed and decided, decided like it didn't know where things go. And I guess default room is precisely that. When we don't know where to put it, it falls off into this newly created thing with no photo called default room. And it's like, now, yeah. guess what I got to do? Now my thumb gets a workout because I got to go through. I got to long press. I got to drag. I got to do all the things. Reset what's room, what room it's in. And by the way, in HomeKit, it's a good idea to name your devices starting with the name, the exact name of the room. So, for example, yes. I would say like lounge TV or Emma overhead light or whatever. And that way, that falls off in the room and you see just the thing. But there's that, that's so much work to just have the it lights is. turn on. But the bonus of naming all of your devices that way is then if you're in the room Emma, then the word Emma at the start of the name disappears. That's exactly what I'm saying. But it only works if you put exactly. it at the start of the name. So if, if I you see put it Emma later show up name, somewhere that's not Emma, I know it's, well, I got a default yeah. room situation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I found that that specifically recently happened to me because of the Hue app. Uh, so I updated my my Hue bridge because adaptive lighting has hit here in the UK. And it turns oh, out man. none of my white light bulbs are compatible because they are white light bulbs. They are oh, not you white ambient light bulbs. You got color ambiance or whatever. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I've not got any ambience bulbs. I've got a couple of ambience lights, though. So I have ambient lighting in my office, except for my overhead light right now. Uh, but anyway, uh, so that happened and it updated the bridge. Uh, and then it said, oh, Oh, hey, your your home app is out of sync. You're out of sync with Siri. You got to update everything. Yeah, and and then it it just my three of my lights just randomly ended up in default room, and I don't <laughs> know why those three lights. It was one of my two living room overhead lights, uh, my bedroom overhead light, and my hallway overhead light. None of which are color bulbs or ambience bulbs or have anything to do with the update that was installed. None of them. But nice. it, that's what happens. So, yeah, it's unfortunate, but I'm going to be looking at this this hoops thing. I've also heard good things about a Starling Hub, which will get uh, Ring and some other things into HomeKit. Okay. Um, but uh, I, I've not played with any of those because I'm, I'm doing quite well personally with HomeBridge. Um, and most of my devices are fortunately HomeKit compatible. So I can work around that with, uh, except for the SwitchBot. But that's really the problem, I think, is that, like, you got to have three different bridges and all these other apps to make this work. I feel like, you know, Apple is a company that became, you know, made its bones by making the whole widget, you know, and they still to this day brag about that. But for whatever reason mm -hmm. in home automation, they decided we'll give you kind of the brain, but you're going to go to other parties to buy all the pieces. And that just doesn't work. Um, I mean, so on the one hand, 
uh, boy, they have a lot of masters to serve. They've have a lot of implicit promises on a lot of things or a lot that we imagine they've promised us, like it just works, but also privacy, right? So I love the fact that they're, they put privacy first to the extent that I can tell, but for a long time, that led to some huge limitations. Um, you go into Amazon, um, AliExa skills, or, you know, you go into, you just, you say, you know, discover my devices, you talk to your, your Google hub, all those things. There's so many integrations. Now, not all of them are great, but they basically said, hey, this whole ecosystem is open. Have fun with it. Apple did not do that. And I think, on one hand, I understand why they did that. Because they don't want security cameras on there that aren't secure. Um, but yeah. I like that they opened that up more. But even that is still a little bit wild. Because I have some cameras like that, again, that Logitech, that is 100% like Apple's okie dokie. But the Arlo cameras are only partially supported. So you get some kinds of features, but not others. If you want to see face detection, you have to go drill down five levels in the home app, which is not a, a ton of fun. But, you know, it's I'm glad that's opening up, but I don't know. It's just always so encouraging to see them put their back into something. And then when they don't put their back into something, they're not talking about it. And I think that's where the frustration comes from. Because we're talking, you're talking about like a multiple hundreds of dollars mistake if you get this stuff wrong. This episode of Automators is brought to you by Text Expander from our good friends at Smile. Get ahead of your productivity for the new year with the power of Text Expander. Text Expander removes the repetition out of work, so you can focus on what matters most. Say goodbye to repetitive text entries, spelling and message errors, and trying to remember the right thing to say. When you use Text Expander, you can say the right thing in just a few keystrokes. It's better than copy and paste and better than scripts and templates because text expander snippets allow you to maximize your time by getting rid of the repetitive things you type while still customizing and personalizing your messages. I use text expander all the time. It's great for sending off emails to, for example, the people who manage the building that I live in to make sure that they have all of the information that they need without me having to copy and paste it from somewhere or use any other kind of automation. Text Expander can be used on any platform, in any app, any way you type. Take back your time in the new year and increase your productivity with Text Expander. And Automators listeners get 20% off their first year. Visit textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander. Go there now, you won't regret it. Our thanks to Text Expander and Smile for their support of the show and Relay FM. Uh, one thing that we should note, though, that Apple has made an improvement on is uh, Thread, which is a new feature that came with the HomePod Minis. Um, and I have a HomePod Mini sitting in my kitchen. And this is uh, apparently a really great way to speed up the connectivity with certain devices. I have seen some great reports. NanoLeaf launched uh, a couple of new devices recently, a light strip and a color light bulb. Uh, which are more affordable, really, than than the Hue options because you don't need to buy a bridge. And so if you just want one color light bulb to try out some HomeKit stuff, then it's quite an affordable way of doing it. And if you have a device that supports Thread, like, say, a HomePod Mini, apparently the connection speed is way faster. I saw that on my Eero, but I saw an Eero that that's an option, but I've never learned what that does. Yeah, so Thread is is new. Uh, don't ask me exactly how it works. I will try and find one of the Apple technical support documents um, that we can uh, throw in the show notes so that people can actually learn about how this works instead of how I think it works. But from what I've read on uh, HomeKit forums and so on, it just basically speeds up your connection to Bluetooth devices. Um, and I, I do actually have two Eve uh, energy plugs in, in my in my kitchen, which is next to my home. Well, my HomePod Mini is also in my kitchen. So I had to get an Eve bridge for it to 
speak to <laughs> so this is so I'm so stupid. Don't give me money. I, I got really frustrated that the Eve devices, so I've got an Eve, they're fancy, like costly. I think it's called the Eve Room or something like that. Mm-hmm. Whatever it's called, it's not cheap, and it does. Uh, te- it doesn't do sensors, but it's, it doesn't do like motion. But it does temperature, it does humidity, and air quality. Mm-hmm. Whatever that means. Um, air quality is an entire racket. I just don't really understand. But anyway, it does that, and that's cool. But sometimes it is stuff I need to know. But have you gotten into this rose? So like you've got, you got something and it's, it's like tracking in the case of like, I have an Eve sensor for tracking motion. I have these Eve things for temperature, humidity, air quality, but it won't update. First of all, it doesn't update across devices. It updates per device. So if you haven't opened the Eve app, refreshed and waited, you might realize you've lost three weeks of data. Because it yes. fell off, like, because you didn't update it. So, you know, what I did, I bought the bridge. I bought a bridge that says, hey, make sure we talk to all the eaves, which is great because now I can check it, like, from the, like, if I'm at my office, I can see that. But you know what? It still doesn't update. It updates per device only when you open, it's like trying to, you know, like, get on a plane and you forgot to, like, update notes before you got on the plane or whatever, or, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it's maddening to me. Like, how, uh, uh, Eve is otherwise so good. So much of their stuff is really, really well done and polished. But, like, there's little things like that where it's like, am I the only person that likes to quantify and record information? Why am I such a weirdo? Like, I need a log on the one hand to tell me why my stupid light is turning on, but I also want to be able to, like, send stuff to a spreadsheet. I want, I want to be able to do that. I don't want to have to open up like a, a Zapier or whatever in order to like, you know, create a, a third Rube Goldberg device for my other Rube Goldberg devices. It's crazy making. Well, you have just solved the mystery that I have been struggling to solve, which is why am I not, why do I have massive holes of six days of no data um, in the, the energy consumption for my washing machine? And it's because I don't open the app. I thought because I was getting it using shortcuts on a regular basis that that would do the trick. Right. Apparently, that does not do it. So this explains many, many things. So thank you for that, Miller. That was very helpful. Because, you know, part of the value, you're very welcome. Part of the value of that, if one chooses to, is to do comparisons. Like one of the, one yeah. of the I think, marquee features is like, you know, and that's a big deal here in, in stupid California with the smoke and the fires is like, give me a quantitative, like, give me this month versus that month and like if you if you don't have that or this just drops off and it's also just so crazy to me that like that continues to be you've lost the data on that device right other devices yeah. might have caught up but like the fact that that lives on a device feels like something from 2004 it feels like i'm using a chumby it's nuts sorry okay let's be positive positive automation <laughs> well, let, let's have a look at some of these other things. Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, just kind of to put a capper on it, HomeKit, it's got some great things, like just being able to sit there and yell into the air, turn the Christmas tree lights on and see them turn on is is awesome. But they need help. And honestly, I really think that Apple needs to make the hardware because the this whole ecosystem where you've got to go into these third-party apps and bounce back and forth. It's just not, it definitely is not historically what we would think of as something from Apple. And it it comes with all of the harrowing war stories that we've been sharing. It does. And this is why yesterday when I was playing with a new nighttime routine, I accidentally had an issue where my uh, robot vacuum was (laughs) 
briefly turning itself on and then go- coming out and then going back and looking for a stocking station because I accidentally added the find robot vacuum button to my scene. That is literally something out of Idiocracy. There's that scene in Idiocracy in the waiting room when the little Roomba just keeps going back and forth and clear- cleaning the same area over and over <laughs> Yeah. Well, there was I, I I remember seeing a story on social media a couple of months ago of uh, how somebody nearly ended up divorced because of a robot vacuum oh because his robot vacuum was plugged into a smart outlet and every time they went to bed he hit the button by the bed which turned off the smart outlet uh, which then meant that the robot vacuum lost its dock and so left and started beeping because it couldn't find its dock so it started wandering around looking for its dock at which point he would get up press a button and go downstairs which would turn on the smart outlet so it would (sighs) then go oh hey I found my dock I can go home and he would just go downstairs and see that it was going back to its dock and okay that's fine and then he realized yeah and then he realized it was because it was plugged into a smart outlet and if he just plugged it straight, straight into the wall then everything would be fine um, and so I, I genuinely thought I'd done that. And then I realized that I'd put the find robot vacuum button in there by accident. It was not a light. So with all my uh, lights, you know, cause we have the Lutron cassettes, we went with switches instead of light bulbs. Cause I, I live in my house and mm-hmm. the, uh, I have one, uh, one Lutron switch in my side, you know, next to my bed there. If I push it, it turns all the lights on in the house. So if you hear a noise at night, you know, except for the bedrooms, it turns the lights on downstairs. So you're using you're using the app to like set the scene setting, the scene yeah. setting in there to say like when I, but you have to do that in the app because it doesn't work with HomeKit, but you could talk to other devices. I need to look at that because, so that works. Then you got like, we got two dimmer switches. You have a similar thing? Yeah. The cassette? Yeah. We've got a bunch of, I've, I've been adding them slowly. You know, it's kind of been my hobby. It's like, okay. I'm going to spend another $50 this month. Which room am I going to wire up? And at this point, basically the whole house is wired up. <laughs> and, but I, so I've installed these switches everywhere and it's really great because you don't have to buy individual bulbs. And, and I've got, like I said, I've got this remote in my side bed. So you hear a noise at night. I can turn all the lights on and go down. You don't have to go into the dark, you know? Um, but uh, every night I put eye drops in my eyes and my eyes are closed and I go to put the drops back in the drawer and I hit the button and my wife is downstairs working. And just like there's a button to turn all the lights on, if you hit the other side of the button, you turn all the lights in the house off. And if I end up getting oh, divorced, God. it will be because of that. <laughs> I recently, okay, so you see this here in my small automation area, but I had to mention this because this is exactly the kind of stupid brain I've got. So we've got uh, a Lutron Cassetta dimmer in our, we call it the nook, like a little like miniature dining room. It's kind of also like where we build Lego and stuff like that. But yeah, the Nook, right? So we got the cassette and it's great. So I've got that hooked up to an overhead lamp from Ikea with, I've really, I'm really starting to love these bright LED bulbs. LED is finally catching up and getting better. The One of the downsides of the Philips Hue lights is I turn 54 in two days and I can't see anything anymore. I need really bright light. Three giant, beautiful slightly dimmable but not great led lights in the overhead cassetta works great for that but you know what i also wanted to have my wife likes to hang out there and drink coffee in the morning with not bright lights so i put a hue light in a a small lamp and it's nice and warm and beautiful but they can't really talk to each other because the lutron you know what i mean they're kind of in different ecosystems so you know what i finally did i think i did this in home plus i don't even remember I did the most boneheaded thing. So the thing is, you hit the cassetta. Well, the other light's still on. 
turn the, the other light off, the cassette is still on. So I set, set it so the hue bulb is watching the cassette setting. And if, it's, if the overhead light is all the way off, it turns itself off. If the overhead light is on at all, it turns itself on. So that was my hack. That was my solution is when I hit the cassette. Now, some other system is monitoring the status of that overhead light. And Rose, I'm sure you could tell me a more efficient way to do that. But that's the kind of thing where I end up spending time is like, how do I make this usable to other people in a fairly intuitive way without getting into what you're describing, David, which is like, boy, on the one hand, like to turn on a light, you want it to be fast. But also that means you can turn off a light fast and set off an entire like making Pee Wee Herman's breakfast routine. Yeah. <laughs> your poor <laughs> wife just wants to read a book. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of different ways we can solve all of these problems. And that is both the beauty and the curse of automation, I feel. <laughs> all right. Before we start recording today, Merlin mentions a word that we haven't talked about much on the automators, but I've wanted to cover this for some time. Better touch tool. It sounds to me like you're using it a lot. What are you doing with it? Uh, I'm not using it a lot, a lot. Once again, yet another thing I learned about from Brett Terpstra. Um, and so what was I using it for? Originally, I was, it was just so ham-fisted. On my Mac here at work, on my iMac, I was using it to basically do F key things. It was, I'm very, don't get me started. I'm very intrigued by keyboard maestro, but I'm terrified by keyboard maestro. First, because of its complexity, but even more because of, that's exactly the kind of thing I could spend a month on. And I don't want to do that. Better Touch Tool was like a fairly intuitive way to do things I wanted like. So, for example, here on my DOS keyboard, when I hit, you know, F13, that opens NVALT, 14 opens drafts, 15 opens task paper, 12 enters my phone number, etc. And I just wanted some really simple bonehead things like that. When I ill-advisedly, too early, purchased the 2019 MacBook Pro, I really wish I'd waited a little longer, uh, boy, that the touch bar, yeah. And so I was, it's not great, but I was using, um, better touch tool on that, on the laptop to do things that are very similar things like open task paper, open this, open that. I know there's so much more that I can do with it, but that's the kind of basic stuff I've done. I feel like I first learned about it though, in, in the service of using it, literally a touchpad, which is, which I'm not great at. Like I much prefer this Logitech mouse. Because I, I have not mastered the touchpad. There are things I love about a touchpad. I, I would miss having a scroll wheel. But that's how I initially started, I think, was being able to do stuff on my laptop with the touchpad. So much you can do in that app. It's a little bit overwhelming. Yeah, he's really grown it over the years. I mean, it started out just being a, a tool for improving the mouse or the touchpad. But like you said, you're, you're mapping function keys to it, uh, the touch bar. It really can go a long way for an automator. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know there's more I can do with it, but you know, it's, we're, we're here on a podcast about automation. So we're talking about automation and then, but the other thing to talk about when you talk about automation is like doing the rest of your stuff. So I've got a lot of projects where I want to get into a thing, but it's also that like, I, I do, I do feel like I'm already a cautionary tale in so many ways with this stuff. I want to find the right balance and, but also I'm always, you know, so hungry for like the next thing that I could do with this. And it is, I believe in your, your trade, uh, your former trade or current trade, David, it's known as an attractive nuisance. Like that, that pile of garbage that a kid could climb on, like that's, we got to do something, put a fence around that. So I put a fence around a lot of this stuff so I don't end up, you know, climbing garbage all day. That was a terrible analogy. <laughs> Understandable though. Understandable. 
That is one of these things where it's so easy to fall into the trap of, oh, but if I just spend five minutes and then three hours later, you look up and you go, wait, what? Uh, how, how did my day just disappear? That was one of Danny O'Brien's primary observations, I feel like in some ways with his famous original Life Hacks talk, was that, you know, for better or for worse, geeks frequently would rather spend like an hour writing a script for this than having, you know, <laughs> their time wasted, uh, you know, for five minutes, 12 times. You know what I'm saying? Like, I would much rather fix this once, patch the roof, rather than trying to find an innovative way to capture the water. I would like to solve the problem. And part of the beauty and the curse, as you say, the original life hacks, which of course been mangled over the years, was that most of the time a life hack was a fairly inelegant solution to something. You know, um, like I, you put, I dropped a photo in here at the top of the page that I feel like really summarizes automation, which is the drinking bird that Homer Simpson uses to hit the Y key over and over. That's really, I mean, on the one hand, if you just need this one little thing, you could get a bird that pecks at a key and that's going to fix it. Not elegant, but it fixes it. But there's also the thing of like, well, what if, what if I don't want it to, what if I wanted to stop hitting the Y key after 5 p.m.? And that's where we get really wound up in this stuff is now if you're not careful, you end up using, you know, super glue and rubber bands to try and make your whole life work together. And you have to have the presence of mind to say up to this point, this is useful past this point. It's not as wholesome. That's, that's the challenge yeah. mm -hmm. to me. And for a lot of us, this is fun. You know, that, and Rose and I talk about it all the time, how, yes. you know, one of the reasons we make this show is because we both find ourselves texting each other at all hours of the day saying, Hey, I'm trying to do this right now. How do you do this? Or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it, yep. it becomes a hobby in essence, but even for someone like Rose, who's a developer and an automator, there are limits. And I think you do have to be kind of self-aware of that. You were talking earlier about um, task managers and automation. And I get probably weekly an email from somebody because I talk a lot about OmniFocus and I talk about automation and people take those two things and they combine them and they find themselves with a OmniFocus database that has 10,000 tasks in it because they're so good at automating. Uh, they've built themselves into prison. And there's something bitterly, bitterly ironic about yeah. that though. I mean, and I, I don't mean this as a slam, but I just, I know whereof I speak. At the moment you find yourself noticing how much time you're spending choosing, learning, developing, uh, taxonomizing a task a management app. Boy, really use that moment to say like, every minute I spend playing with this, I should spend five minutes getting these things done, getting like doing the things yeah. on the list. That is a, it's like I say, it's a pocket, not an attic. That's a place for like active stuff that you're doing. And I, I, you, everybody's got to do you, do you, do you, that's what I say, everybody. But when you find yourself and that's one reason I went to task paper is I didn't want to be able to do anything too sophisticated. And when, when I find myself saying, oh, this project, I wish I could create a semantic start date where it would disappear. And like, I could probably script that. Like, eh. Nope. You, you already do that in OmniFocus. The reason you're in task paper is because you have stuff to do, not stuff you want to think about and taxonomize. Yeah. And that, that, that is that presence of mind has been valuable for me. I still love OmniFocus. I just don't have enough different kinds of work to be, to like really be utilizing OmniFocus. I got podcasts and then they're done. You record them, you write the show notes, you do the things, you buy bread, you put up a curtain, like all these, just these little things. And it's like, at the moment, I'm so grateful for the moments I catch myself going, stop overthinking this. 
do the work. And if it's just stuff, even and then task paper stuff accumulates. I got all this stuff. And you know what I do? I delete it all and start over. <gasps> How could you possibly do that? Well, that's the thing. If they're not getting done, that's this should be my brain trying to tell me something. Mm-hmm. Right here. I got this pad of paper. So much of what I do now is just jotting stuff on this pad of paper. I cross it off at the end of the day. I tear off the sheet and I throw it away. I could certainly get into, like I say, whether it's OmniFocus, Emacs, whatever it is, if you need the get the tool that fits what you need and then use it efficiently in the service of what you're trying to do. But also be be aware and catch yourself when you're going off the rails with uh, trying to be super productive with something that's meant to just help you be productive. Yeah, well, I think that's the trick really is the automation. Automation is great for processing things you've added to OmniFocus, but the human needs the person needs to be the one adding the tasks because if you introduce automation, you're just creating this pile of work for yourself that isn't actual work. Agreed. I mean, it very much depends. I find that if I don't have an automation to add certain things because those things are assigned to me automatically elsewhere, then those things will not get done because I am very used to my system and my setup. So it very much depends on the person. But yes, I, w- I would generally say that if you have uh, you know, automation just dumping a bunch of stuff into your system, then you, you, it would be worth taking a look at the why behind it because sometimes uh, it's it's not always a good thing. That leads, that leads to a very general pattern that I'll just mention quickly in passing. This has become something, something that's so general as to sound not useful, and yet I find it incredibly useful, which is um, in, in your life, in your adult life in particular, a lot of, there's a lot of things in your life where you need to figure out where it goes. Like whatever, whatever that thing is that, so I'm, I'm deliberately being very general. Where does this thing go? And I feel like if you become aware of that as an important pattern, a lot of stuff will start making a lot more sense. So that could be something like, as I say, like I want my forks to be in the cutlery drawer, even though there's more room in the garage In the garage, the forks are not as useful to me. I need them to be here, but where, where do other things go? Well, the task that I need to do, David Allen would say, if you can do the task now, why would you even write it down? Just go do the thing. What, you want the satisfaction of seeing seeing it crossed out on a page? Stay focused on where the thing goes. It's, you know, and for example, I, I talked about this recently on uh, the Do By Friday podcast, but the very, very, very widest general concept of lists. So we, lists could be to-do lists, but lists are also things like the album inside of photos where I put HomeKit codes because I'm going to need it again. I don't need that $5 app for that. I could just put it in and that's, that's a list. That's a capture point. Got a home kit device. You take a photo, you put it there. Good new power pop song. Guess where that goes on this Spotify list. I'm, I'm trying to abstract this as widely as possible, but start thinking about one of your goals in adult life as a professional, personal, whatever it is. Where does this thing go? Is it still in the right place? Does this belong somewhere else? You can abstract that pattern in the most sort of muscular ways. By saying like, well, one reason I'm having a problem with this is because this thing's not in the right place. If you, how about this? You lose something, right? You've lost, you mislaid your keys. Where's the first place you look for your keys? I don't know, but like you have an idea, right? Mm -hmm. Why don't you start keeping your keys there? That's where your keys wanted to be. If you keep finding stuff you lost in this same area, it's not where it needs to be. If something's like in your, like, for example, in your kitchen, your home, your office, whatever it is, is this thing where it needs to be? No, that's garbage. That needs to go. This could be made more efficient if we clean out this pantry. Then that's where those things go. I know this sounds dumb. It sounds obvious. But think about where something needs to go. Where is that friction being generated? And can you minimize it? And to me, starting with that very practical approach then gives you 
a ton of ways to utilize this stuff with a built-in governor that tells you when you've moved past where the thing belongs into like this fantasy land. And nothing, I mean, tinkering is fun, but know when you're tinkering. Know when, in the case of somebody like me that is not a developer for a living, like, do I really want to learn this new language because I bought a device that I could program? No, like, that's not where that goes. Anyway, just a big pattern. Start looking for it. Where does this go? I, I think that's really like, that works in a lot of ways with digital taxonomy as well. Like tagging is a good one. People always say, well, how do you tag? Well, the tag, the way I tag something wouldn't matter if you ask me. The way you tag it is what matters. So what's the tag you would use for this file? And that's the one you're going to yeah. go to. And if I, can't, if I can't find it the first time I look for it, the Dr. Drang post on what to enter in the terminal to reset your launch services. I know there's other ways to do it. But so I have so many, as you know, David, refx, refx, re reference files. And every time I can't find it, I instantly rename it this whole like diarrhea of nouns about what I was searching for, but couldn't find it. Like that's compensatory muscles for your brain. Like if you didn't find it the one way, that doesn't mean you should create a new taxonomy. It means you patch up this one thing that failed you here. But like, you know, put the thing where you're going to need it not where you think it should go. Like that's, if you think too much about where the thing should go or like the aesthetic way to do that, well, to me, it's much more intuitive to look at like where where does my right hand want to go to grab this pan? Wouldn't it be great if I had a way to store that pan there? It doesn't work for everything, but if you interrogate the where stuff belongs or where stuff goes, a lot more stuff starts falling in place and the friction becomes clearer. Definitely. This was something I solved recently. I realized that I was I was not running a particular shortcut when I wanted to run it. So I tried to figure out how to get that in front of me at the right time of day. And I realized that there were a bunch of different ways to do it. But the easiest way was to put it in a widget on my home screen. Uh, and so I just put it in a widget <laughs> on my home screen and it's there. And now I tap it and it does the thing. And I'm considering adding some automation, further automation to to go ahead and say, OK, well, if she's tapping this after, say, 8 p.m., then it means that she's going to bed where if she taps it after 8 a.m. Then she's it's during the day and it's cloudy outside. So turn on the lights. But I've decided <laughs> for the time being, I'm just going to stick with the guess what? It's it's time to go to bed. And so run all these things and dim the lights and check check the windows and make sure that she knows if any windows are open that need closing etc you're you're about a week away from becoming wallace with the wrong trousers this episode of the automators is brought to you by senna more than 200 powerful apps for your mac try it for a week with the link in today's show notes there's an app for everything these days some are excellent and others not so much a great way to discover new quality apps and get all the tools you need to be successful and productive is by using Setup, a subscription for Mac apps. Setup packs over 200 apps into one. There's an app for almost any task, so you can stay in your flow and finish what you started. And now you can take your projects to your iPhones and iPads with support for iOS companion apps for your Mac favorites like Ulysses, To-Do, and TaskKey. Setup has a dedicated curation team that only selects the highest quality apps, which means you don't have to spend a lot of time searching for great tools. And it's just such a great value. Instead of paying thousands of dollars for separate app licenses, you pay one flat monthly fee. 
New apps are added regularly and updates are free and all of the apps are their full featured pro versions. Head over to setapp.com to try setapp for free for a week. And if you like it, pay $9.99 a month for as long as it's useful to you. And it will be. Once again, go to setapp.com to see how it fits with your workflow. Our thanks to setapp for their support of the automators and all of Relay FM. So we can talk about automation. What are we doing here? This is running long. Let me get, we can talk about automation. Let's automate some things. Yes. Yes. So you mentioned better touch tool, but something else you mentioned before the show, which I definitely want to ask you about is bunch because I've, I've heard of bunch, but I think a lot of our listeners have not heard of bunch. So can you give us a quick overview of what is bunch and how are you using it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Genius. the, The guy who's basically my, my, not my muse, but like God, Brett Terpstra makes so much stuff that I use like every day, like things inside of things. I use Brett Terpstra's services inside of his apps. I so much. He created this thing called Bunch. That's such a clever idea. So the idea with Bunch is there's stuff you want to do at certain times. Like there's certain sets of conditions you want to set up and there's ways to automate that in different places. The way he chose to do this is I think incredibly clever. So I don't know the order he did this in, but basically you have a, you have a text file. It's a, mm-hmm. you know, .txt, but it's called .bunch. And each line in that is a line that you put in that does a thing. So in the same way that I would introduce LaunchBar or Alfred by saying, hey, if you type, you know, the first few letters of Microsoft Word, it knows you mean Microsoft Word, you hit enter and it opens, right? Wow, that's really cool. Well, that's just the beginning. There's so much more. So let's take that same example here. Uh, When I start a podcast, I wanted to launch Skype. So, and I, I don't, I need to open this, but let's just say you've got words and then you've got... Uh, things like punctuation that mean things. So if I do this, it's going to open Skype. If I do this, it's going to quit Skype. If I do this, it's going to open this URL. If I do that, it's going to open this finder window, et cetera, et cetera. But it goes further than that. He's added so much to this. I mean, the basic part of it is like for me, when I, I have a bunch called Start Podcast and that does what? It opens Skype. It opens Audio Hijack. It quits Dropbox. It quits Plex. Uh, it turns on do not disturb. Get this. He recently, fairly recently, I think, added this. I changed the audio input and output to my uh, USB pre too, right? Each mm-hmm. line means something. And, uh, and so basically, it's just a way of saying, I, under the, given these conditions, I want the following things to happen on my Mac. And uh, he even has stuff like there's Apple Script support in there. You, he's added a thing now, talk about quick keys. He's added a thing now where you could say, in this app, go and hit this key command really wild kind of hacky stuff, but it works pretty great. And um, I could see lots of situations where Bunch would be in pretty easy. You know what? It's a pretty fun, easy-ish app to nerd out with. Like you don't have to go crazy with it, but I bet you could think of situations where let's say you're going into a meeting, your weekly stand-up meeting, right? You could have Mm -hmm. something that says on my Mac, turn on, do not disturb, open this file where I keep my notes um, you know, all these different things, even if you have like four or five lines in there, having that and then not having to think about it is delightful. And to me, the real beauty is, like I say, I have one called start podcast and it opens all the things. Then I have one called end podcast. And that's equally powerful because it changes my audio input and output back. It turns do not disturb off. It opens up Ecamm because it, I know I'm going to want to like export my call recorder, split the tracks. It opens up the folders for all of the different podcasts. Last thing, he added something I've wanted forever. I have not fully explored this, but you can now sort of, uh, what's the word, alias or nest 
you know, uh, I believe you can now do bunches in other bunches. So you could basically uh-huh. have, you could abstract out, this is the thing that involves every kind of podcast, no matter mm-hmm. what. This is for this particular podcast. So that opens Zoom instead of Skype or what have you. So I, I would just say it's a, it would be a fun thing for people to whack around in um, because it is instantly going to be useful. It is a little bit fun and nerdy. And if you want to go deeper on it, there's a lot more that you can do. And you're doing it all in a text file with just lines of text. That's all it is. And uh, it's, I think it's incredibly powerful and I believe it's free but you can donate. And I feel like it gets a new feature every time Brett needs a new feature, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so yes. like, you'll open it up one day and it's just got like the do not disturb thing is fairly recent. Um, but it's like, he must've needed it for something cause he added it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's there's something so satisfying. It's I, I often find myself falling back to talking about Markdown. We're like, you know, you could be like John Syracuse and write in HTML, but I, I could do that in BB edit, but I really like using Markdown because Markdown has the subset of formatting things that I generally need. And so I think of Markdown as like this very simplified version of what can become HTML. But like originally Markdown was like a way of turning this plain text into plain text HTML. Now I just live in Markdown. Task paper. It's like Markdown for tasks, right? I, I just got a bunch of lines. There's basically three kinds of objects in task paper. Anything I do to make that overly complex is on me, not on them. And now you look at Bunch. What's Bunch? Well, Bunch is kind of like, think of it almost like Automator, but in a text file. I love the idea that I'm going to take this very minimal thing. I don't need to learn an entire platform. And I love the idea that this keeps me focused on, all I have to learn is some tricks for what it's called, um, you know, how it's formatted, that kind of stuff. And then off I go. And I'm not even thinking about it anymore. I will take a solution like that anytime. Yeah, I mean, the fact that it, it's based on a text file, I think would probably just push your buttons just to start. Um, <laughs> it doesn't take much, but that, yeah. that helps. Yeah. The, and you, you're still writing generally in Markdown for everything, right? Correct. I use, uh, so the writing that I do is uh, relatively ephemeral. I mean, it's all well, ephemeral. It's meaningful to me. But doing things like writing show notes um, is a big part of what I do. I have, like, like I say, I have a lot of text files that kind of run my life. And so I, I, I write a lot using the Markdown format, depending on what I'm doing, it might be in NV alt, um, or it might be in a more, a richer, you know, formatted thing. But then I use uh, another one of Brett's apps, marked Mark two to preview what I'm, uh, what I'm, what I'm doing there. And then all of that is just so improbably portable. It blows my mind. Oh, so David, David, I heard about an app. Alex told me about an app you like called Obsidian. Yeah. And I, I had never heard of it. Um, and so I went and I wanted to, wanted to go and just play with that and just to see what it's like. And it's, it's such an interesting idea for an app. So what I, I eventually ended up starting over with a new vault, but the very first thing I did was to just copy the corpus of 2,500 text files that I live in. And it's so wild to me in this day and age of 4k movies it's so wild to me that the the rich history of years and years and years of text files that I've got, it's got to be under a few megs. I just hit copy and it's done. Yeah. The text files, so light, so portable. And like, I, there's something really um, satisfying, amusing to me about that. You know, it's, I can have a 60 gig movie over here, but like all of that information that's been valuable to me all lives in those little text files that could fit on a thumb drive with room for Apocalypse Now left over. 
Yeah, I, I mm-hmm. have the same experience because I've been writing in Markdown for like 10 years and I did the same thing. And Obsidian is basically a structure you can put on top of your Markdown files, but they're mm-hmm. still just your Markdown files. But I also know that you use drafts a lot, don't you? I mean, I've seen you write yes. and make reference to it. Oh, I love drafts. Drafts is where text starts. I love that it's cross-platform. <laughs> the The magic of the way that Greg has, I have no idea. Rose, I, I wonder if this blows your mind too. The, he started out with this Mac app. He made uh, uh, an iOS app. and But how do you, how would you possibly create functionalities that work on both of those platforms? mind-blowing to me and not all of them do but like a shocking amount of things in drafts will just work and sync and do the thing on ios and the mac which is mind-blowing to me the only thing that keeps me from being all 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 in on drafts this is so embarrassing it's just i have to be candid i still use editorial on my phone editorial has been dead for forever but you know what it is i really like the task um test paper app on the Mac. Like that's open almost all the time on my Mac. And I like the GUI, the interface for that. It's incredibly limiting to have that be the gating factor because drafts will do all of that stuff. And drafts has all that functionality. You just got to like wire it up. But that's the one thing that keeps me from going um, all the way in on drafts is I still like having separate text files, A, that can be in, in places like Dropbox, B, Ergo, that lets me have a task paper document that I can use in those different places. And every couple of weeks, I go back to seeing, can I do this all with drafts? And I'm just not quite there yet. Sell me, sell me, talk me out of this. Give me, give me, give me all in on drafts. What do I have to do? I mean, it drafts has task paper formatting and it will sync those things. And I have a, a workspace in drafts. Uh, I have one for my OmniFocus templates, actually. And when I switch to that, uh, I set it up so that it switches my action groups. So that's the one on the right hand side and the one above the keyboard. And but it's iCloud. It's iCloud only, and I can't get that on the Mac. I can't get the .dot task paper file in the task paper app on the Mac, which officially mm. makes me an old man. But that, do you understand what I mean? Like, yeah, because it won't do. I don't have a way to like. And I just use the drop. I just use uh, the drafts app for everything. Yeah. Which is, I guess, you know, I guess I could, yeah. Uh, I, I don't maybe know what's you should give it me. another try. You should give it I'll another give it try. Another try. You know, I will. You know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I know you will, and you'll give it another try, and you'll probably go back <laughs> to your your favorite way of using the task paper up on the Mac and editorial on on your Ooh, iPhone. Editorial. Let's wait for it to update. Well, they did update it nine months ago with support for the iPhone 10 screen resolutions, so that was a good start. But like all, like so many apps, like Apple's Notes app, like if I just want to pop it open for a second while I'm like out on the street with my phone, I do have to, I scroll down a little bit and wait. And it's not until I see the top of the page because it reloaded. That's when it got updated from Dropbox. It won't do it on its own. It's yeah. Yeah. That is most unfortunate. I mean, when you look at editorial and drafts, I feel like drafts really is the poster child for app subscriptions. Um, you know, I think the reason editorial didn't continue to get development was there was no more, you couldn't afford oh, to, right. you know, yeah, I, I don't know how people survive. I, I was on the beta of drafts the first day I got it. I subscribed, like, with money. It's like, mm-hmm. please take my money. Keep making this. Keep making these kinds of things. Make stuff. Please, developers, make stuff like the Hook Productivity app. Please, developers, keep making. There's somebody, I swear to God, there's somebody out there that will give you money for your ambition. And I, I'm so grateful those people still exist. I didn't know you were a Hook user, uh, Merlin, but it makes total sense that you are. Just started. Okay. 
Well, I'm still figuring it out. We did it for a challenge on Dubai Friday. And where did I learn about it? Because they were on the OmniFocus or OmniGroup podcast, that the dude. And uh, yeah. I think it's really interesting. I feel like this weekend is the first time I finally kind of got my head around it. I still don't know if it's... A, what's neat about it to me is if I am going to be using Task Paper in the Task Paper app on my Mac, like it's pretty powerful to me the way in his YouTube video, you might want to put that in notes. In this, his YouTube video, he basically explains how you can create these hubs involves like replicating templates and it's this, it could be this entire worldview and his videos go by really fast but at the at the heart of it hook is an app that lets you say um to what's the word um to uh you you hook a thing to another thing and it's bi-directional so if i'm on a web page i open this thing up it's like launch bar it's like alfred open this thing up and i want you to associate that with this task paper file so now if i ever open that web page again I'm a keystroke away from seeing all the things that it's attached to. And I, and unlike like Devin Think and stuff like that, very powerful. What I love about Hook or what is interesting to me about Hook, a la Launch Bar, is that it it exists outside of all of those separate do documents, yeah. you know, all those separate web pages, small pieces loosely joined. Like there's nothing formal. There's not a, like a big dumb database where I have to put all these PDFs. You can just drag, you can open up one file, drag a bunch of stuff into it, and then guess what? Those are associated now. So it's kind of like a, uh, I think uh, he might say, it's like this cognitive CMS for how you work, but it's extremely lightweight. Like I say, I don't know if I'm going to be using it five years from now. I kind of doubt it, but I'm very intrigued by how it works. And uh, I love that it exists. Well, like thinking about your task paper work that you're doing, you could very easily using Hook, because one of the things Hook does that I'm not aware of any other app doing is it allows you to create a URL link to a file that's not like Devin yep. Think will do it, but I mean, like generally just on your file system, you can create a link to a file. So you can have a link to the audio file or the outline for the podcast. Or like in my case, I use Hook in conjunction with Obsidian and Markdown files when I have a client matter. So I can get to the OmniFocus mm -hmm. project, to the the client folder, like everything is just connected. And um, so you're really wow, that's that's amazing. You're you're doing that for your work. You work. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, well, it's faster once you have it. It and using automation, you can build them very quickly. Um, and when you're working, it it makes everything seamless. You know, you use the word cognitive earlier. I I really as the more I think about this whole thing of computers what we need to use automation for is to get from thought to action. That's what we're really using automation for, right? One of the things I forget who first, I forget who first said this, whether it was me or Ethan, but back in the days of kinkless and then getting into what would become OmniFocus, uh, the phrase that, that I found myself using anyway was um, sort of like decreasing the path from cognition to completion, right? Yeah. However you want to think about that. But the idea is like, the more that I can remove barriers, hangups, delays, like you, you, you want to get too done, right? That's what we're trying to accomplish here. How do we envision what done looks like and then do everything, clear the path to make that possible. And to me, that's, that continues to be something that's a guiding principle for me. And you know, you know, what doesn't get you to completion is spending a lot of time, like, you know, writing scripts for your scripts for your scripts. If that works and it's useful, that's good. But you just got to like, you know, like I say, stay on target, stay on target. What is it we're trying to finish here? I can't go home and make the Legos until I finish doing the show. And I can't finish the show until I've split up the files, et cetera, et cetera. It's like you reverse engineer, you know, what success looks like. And then 
create the affordances that make make it difficult to fail. Yeah. But in addition to being worried about scripts about scripts, you also have to be worried about every time I open my email application, I have a risk of being diverted by something else. Every time I open my browser, yeah. there, you know, a website may pull me away from staying on target. And that's that's the half of it where the automation makes the difference. Yeah, but you're also, I agree with you, but you know, in talking about something that's always been a little bit of a bee in my bonnet is things like New Year's resolutions. And, you know, what I finally landed on with New Year's resolutions, so I had a series on 43 folders a million years ago uh, called something like, I forget what it was called, like small starts, modest changes, something like that. But just a way of trying to tweak rather than think that because the calendar changes, I'll, I'll, it'll flip. In the time since, I think that I've realized that things like New Year's resolutions often fail because they lack the most critical part, which is infrastructure. Like whenever, whether you're, whether you're like a project manager or a parent or a whatever, like think about if you want to succeed, yes, think about what success looks like for sure. Like, and not success as in like you become a douchebag with a Lamborghini, but as in like, I get to go home and make this Hagrid's hut, uh, Lego this afternoon that I'm very excited to make. Okay. But like, I think what you, what you have to do in some ways is be very deliberate and focused about figuring out what is, if I know what success looks like or think I do, what is, what's the fastest way to introduce some infrastructure that keeps me on the rails, right? So, like, how come how come you failed at your your annual New Year's resolution to lose weight and eat better? Well, don't have potato chips in the house. Like, pre-make some meals and like put them in little packets. Make snacks that you can grab. Only you know what that infrastructure looks like. But the key thing, and again, this does get back to where does this belong? The concept. Right. But infrastructure means that you you have thought enough ahead to know that to get to that success, there's gonna have to be a little bit of as he, again, as Ethan Schoonover would say, we're what we really care about is the building that we're building, but we will need a scaffolding to make that building. But we also cannot spend all day thinking about our scaffolding. Because building yep. the building is why we have the scaffolding. The scaffolding is not here to make more scaffolding. But that is critical. Infrastructure means you've put the things in place to anticipate where this is like to, likely to be difficult, where you're going to need extra support. I, there's not a project I can think of that doesn't benefit from having a little bit of infrastructure. Not all of the infrastructure, not over-infrastructure, not over-engineered, but enough to keep you in motion. And then you iterate that. Do I need to change the way I'm doing this? Do I need to change the way that I'm doing infrastructure? That's just such a, that's such a critical role to me. And it was Ethan who really, to me, socialized, at least in our group, that idea, what does it mean to have infrastructure? It means I have enough of a scaffolding to make the building. And I think that's, it's, if you succeed with any other means, you got lucky. It's, it, you got real lucky because it worked out. If you have something ambitious you want to do that requires a lot of your, uh, your will, your time, your, 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 uh, your background, your experience, your education, you're still going to want to have an infrastructure because life does not always go the way that you anticipated. And you're, you're going to want a way to be able to stay if it's still valuable to you to do, you're going to need that infrastructure. And figuring out how much infrastructure versus how much building, that's, that's, <laughs> where, that's the hard part. <laughs> this episode of Automators is brought to you by The IntraZone by Microsoft SharePoint. I love finding new podcasts to listen to. It's always something magical when you find something that just makes your brain tick. If you're looking for a new show to listen to, The IntraZone is a bi-weekly podcast with conversations and interviews on how Microsoft SharePoint, OneDrive and related tech can work for you. You'll hear from guest experts behind the scenes and out in the field, 
so you can easily see how SharePoint fits into your everyday work life to easily share and manage content, knowledge, and applications. Each show covers a bunch of segments, like news and announcements, a focus topic of the week, guest perspective, FAQs of the week, and upcoming events. And just so you have an idea of what to expect, I want to tell you some of the topics you might be interested in that were on previous episodes. They've discussed working from home, which I know is relevant to a lot of you, and also figuring out an intelligent intranet in your organization. Oh, and they did an episode talking about API and teamwork too, which you should give a try. I really enjoyed the episode on Microsoft To Do, the list management application which Microsoft created based on Wonderlist. And guess what? It's really useful. We're using this at work for a variety of different things at the moment. And it turns out my mum's using it in her workplace as well. So I was even able to share that knowledge with somebody in my family. Go and listen to it now. Just search for The Intrazone wherever you get your podcasts. That's I-N-T-R-A-Z-O-N-E. Or just click the link in the show notes. Go check it out. Our thanks to The Intrazone by Microsoft SharePoint for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Merlin, you've uh, you've been involved with you know computers and automation for a long time. What are the areas that you would like to see improve, or or even just areas you're working on that that just aren't there yet? Hmm. Other than HomeKit, <laughs> that's a that's a good that's a really good question. Um, of the of the things that I have sort of any control over, you know, one of the things I've always loved on a Mac, and this happens other places, but you know, I've been using a Mac pretty much every day since 1987. And there's, a, there's one phenomenon of using Apple products in general that never gets old for me. It doesn't happen every day, but have you ever had, I'm sure you've had this situation where you say, huh, I wonder what would happen if I click on that. Or I wonder what would happen if I option click on that. And on the one hand, like it does exactly what you hoped it would do. You didn't have to read a manual. You just, you sort of intuited that that's a thing that you could do. Like right now, anybody listening, I know you know all this, but start option clicking on stuff in your menu bar. You might be surprised. You'd be amazed how much stuff lives under option clicking, whether that's sound source, whether that's whatever that is. Like there's just little things where like you noodle around, you try something intuitive and like, but to think about the, whoever, whatever group made that feature work is so freaking smart. And so like to make something that I find intuitive that's just such a source of delight in my life. Like there's all sorts of stuff like this where you learn that there's something you never realized was as clever as it is. And I love things like that popping up. But if everything can't be clever, make it clearer. There's, there's, there's just so many things. And again, another big pattern is like, there's so much stuff that kind of lacks clarity or lacks thinking all the way through. This is the project manager in me is like doing the risk mitigation of figuring out what happens if this fails at this particular point at the state. Some of the frustration with a lot of stuff in work and in automation in computers is that there's it's just not clear what you're supposed to do. One thing you hear from developers nowadays, I don't know if it's true today, but for like two years, I've just been hearing about the lack of proper documentation for stuff in it, Swift, stuff in it's APIs. Still true. Is it really true? Like, that's crazy to me. Like when I go and I'm setting up this Synology, I got pages and pages and pages of extensive documentation for different situations. And it's all so well thought out. You know, and then it's just frustrating to me. Okay, is there a list? Is there an official list right now of everything that Siri can respond to? Well, no. you know, there's there's articles on iMore. Like, there's things like that you can find. But like, I got I got a HomePod Mini. I was very happy to have my HomePod Mini arrive. HomePod Mini has has some features in common with the regular HomePod, and others not. 
Mm-hmm. And okay, so you buy HomePod. Yay, HomePod. I want good speaker. Okay. Well, guess what? If you got the costly HomePod, you can do Atmos at 5.1 and 7.1, and you can make that the permanent source coming out of your TV. You can create a stereo pair. You can do all of those things. Now, that does not have that, uh, that easy handoff ability that the HomePod Mini has. HomePod Mini has a lot to recommend it. You can do a stereo pair, but guess what? It doesn't do Atmos. Okay. Oh, but I can still make that the permanent source coming out of my Apple TV. Mm, no, that's just on the other Apple TV. And it's like, okay, like, I know all that because I watched him get up there and learn what he's excited for me to do something with. But, like, it's crazy making to me how much, like, inconsistency there is between different things. Like, make sure you buy this right thing in this configuration. There's not clarity to all of these things. It, what, what we sacrifice for the simplicity of an Apple presentation is that sometimes has wrought extreme confusion in, like, how do I actually how do I deal with this thing if it doesn't work? Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, I guess you take it in. You can't, you can't put RAM in there. You can't open it up. You can't do those things. You could, you can go look at Reddit. There's just, there's so much stuff where it's frustrating to me that like, like I said at the top, it's frustrating to me when you, you take away the power to provide a little bit of simplicity, but it's not really that simple and it's not really that powerful. Like with Hoobs, for example, I believe that I could sit down and learn that. The same way I learned my 3D printer. The same way I learned PHP. Like, I can learn enough to get through these things given the right amount of motivation and documentation. That's one of the hangups for me, though, with this stuff, is that when stuff doesn't work, I'm not sure who it's for. Like, if this was for a developer, I could guess see that. Is this for the notional aunt or uncle? Oh, boy, you're really going to want some help with that. That's where it gets frustrating to me. This stuff wants to make our life better, And then like, but there are downsides and consequences to getting this stuff wrong, whether that's a money thing or a time thing or often enough a security thing. Um, That was really rambly, but that's, that's one of the things right now. I feel like there's so many ways in which we're in this transitional period, whether it's with our government and our culture or with the technology where it's like, and on the one hand, it's never felt more powerful, but it's also never felt more perilous that there are, there are risks to getting this stuff wrong, getting the wrong camera in the wrong place, with the wrong setting, with poor geolocation has consequences. Mm-hmm. You know, there was the thing I just saw today, and I didn't read the whole article, but apparently, did you see the thing about the, the home hubs or routers? Is a new kind of like an Amazon-only router that has like a built-in backdoor that's not been announced, stuff like that. There's consequences to getting this stuff wrong, and that that makes us, I think, a little timid about whether it's safe to go all in do you trust the folks who are making that on any number of levels that you'll be cared for, you know, and that you, I don't know. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, well, that's a lot, uh, but I think it, it is a lot. I'm sorry. I've been recording podcasts all day and I, I'm <laughs> hungry and I'm losing my mind. So I'm probably losing the thread a little bit. No, I, I mean, I think that you're, you're, I'm with you though. I, I, I feel like for instance, getting to the security thing, the reason why I buy Apple stuff the reason why I was whining earlier that I want Apple to make a more expensive light bulb is because I don't want to think about that stuff. And I do believe that Apple is a company that is privacy minded. I mean, they don't make their money by selling advertising, so they don't have the same um, motivations Motivation. that other tech companies yeah. do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, let me give you, let me give you just a, a kind of quick ish example. Um, there are lots of options out there for hard drives and NAS products, but I've been really satisfied with Synology's. 
after the I made an initial mistake, which is the first Synology I bought, I cheaped out. And I bought a two-bay Synology, which is really stupid. Um, it kind of defeats the purpose. Um, but, you know, now I've got a six-bay that I use at the office, and I got this four-bay for at home. And it's really it's a really neat device that is, like, mostly surprisingly intuitive once you get your head around using their weird, like, kind of web app. I think it's really powerful. But, like, just here's an example that I've run into for the second time now in about a month which is part of the beauty of this analogy. And this is, the whole point of this anecdote is that it's nobody in particular's fault. And yet, something's not working, right? So you buy this thing. It's basically a bunch of hard drives that are striped together. So you have redundancy. You know, it's pretty reliable. And then you get a pretty nice computer with it, really. I mean, there's all these guts that kind of run around the hard drive. And that lets you do stuff like stream media. Like you can do time machine backups, there's so much you can do. It's basically, it doesn't look like a computer, but it's a little box full of hard drives that you can use to run your business. It's brilliant. One of the benefits that, I, that is really cool about Synology, you plug it in, you get it on your network, and with an absolute minimum of fiddling, it should be able to hook up fine with your router, which it mostly does. You bring it up. It even has a cool app. You run an app on your Mac and it says, hey, are there any Synologies around here? It goes, hey, here's your Synology. Do you want to set that up? And you're like, yes, yes, I want to set this up. You go in, you set it up, you put the criteria in. You can even set up DDNS. So now you can get to that remotely and securely. One of the hallmark features, though, in some ways, is all these apps you can run, productivity apps, replacements for Dropbox, replacements for G Suite. Maybe not as good, but like a video serving system that you could like look at videos on your Apple TV, even if you're not a Plex user. But of course, yes, it has Plex. It's got all of the things. Each one of those things needs to open up a port. And as you all know, you want to be careful with your ports. You don't want to F around with 22 if you don't know what you're doing, right? And so there's ports, and the ports are what enable it to communicate between these devices. Then, of course, on top of that, you've got a firewall where you say, yeah, I want Apple File Protocol or SMB to work here, but I don't want it to work there. I don't want everybody to became, be able to come in and run RSync. Now, here's the beauty part, on the label anyway. You fire up your Synology, you hook it up to your uh, router, and I happen to have a router that says very prominently, this is a UPnP device, which some nerds don't love because it's maybe not the most secure. Guess what? My router is a UPnP, like a plug and play device. And my Synology is a UPnP device. Perfect, right? You hook them up, you plug them in, it does the little secret handshake. And from now on, when I add or remove an app functionality from Synology, it, the router will be able to talk to the Synology and know what ports to do what with, which is great. The problem is it doesn't work. The problem is that when you hook it up and you run it against your router, the final test fails and it says, this is not a UPnP router. Okay, whatever. The problem is now, now I, if I, do I want to go in and manually open all of those ports? And second, do I want to go in and then manually create firewall rules? You know, they've got mm -hmm. a security thing that'll check for problems and stuff like that. No, but ideally, I want my UPnP router to talk to my UPnP Synology, right? Yep. So I go, I go to the router uh, support, and it's like, yeah, everything seems fine. UPnP, that's what it should be doing. Sorry, I can't help you. You go to Synology, and it goes, yeah, UPnP should work fine. There's no Sherpa in between. There's no rabbi in between. There's no Brett Terpster in between to hold my hand and help me figure out what's wrong. So what do I do? Do I go in and start opening ports, creating firewall rules? I'm here to tell you, bud, it's real easy to screw that up in a way that has mm -hmm. consequences. Yep. That space, that liminal space between the two things that should work together 
as long as that rant was, that's the definition of frustration for me is it's nobody's fault. It really is nobody's fault. I, there's probably something in how they're not working together. It's mm-hmm. getting to the internet. It's assigning DHCP addresses. It worked with DDNS. It's done all of those things, but I test it over and over and I get to that last step and then it says, nope, you got to set up, set this up manually. And that's crazy making to me. And like I say, it's just happened for the second time in a month. And I just got to like get through it again, but there are risks to getting it wrong. At least, you know, time is one of them. Money is one of them, but security is another one of them. Functionality, what is to do the thing it's supposed to do. Well, do I need to go get the iDevices app in order to be able to go in and do the functionality? Do I use Home Plus for that? Like try explaining that to somebody, you know, over the phone. Like it's, this stuff is complicated and it's frustrating. That's all. And the worst part of it is, is when these things are actually working. My Plex server currently tells me that it's not available outside of my network. However, I literally have a friend streaming from my Plex machine right now. She's watching Futurama. It's working for somebody. (laughs) Yeah. She's watching Futurama. It's fine. It's all good. But my Plex server says, oh, no, but somebody can't, people can't get to it. Oh, Rose, Rose, welcome to, welcome to my life with a new Mac mini using screens. Exactly. And like it's getting, I've got screens running on three Macs and then of course on the iOS devices to get to them. And some things work in some places. Some things don't work in other places. Some things work under certain conditions, but not others. If I'm in the room with the device on the same network, generally no problem. I test it out by turning off Wi-Fi and using my iOS device. That seems to be fine. I go to the office. I bring it up. The whole goal is for me to bring up that screen on my office computer and get to my home computer from there. Not going to happen. Tried nope. it three different ways. Tried saving it three different ways in Screen Connect. Oh, by the way, the new Mac does not show up in Screen Connect. I tried logging out and re-logging into everything. It's nobody's fault, but it still doesn't work. And like, that's a lot of dough to like not be able to do the thing. And it's, mm-hmm. how do you, how do you even track that down? I, I mean, I don't know. I, I can't recreate every condition all day long to try and test all this stuff out. So I end up spending half an hour here, half an hour there. And then now you got this costly device that's just not doing the thing, but it's nobody's fault. And your light's still coming on at three o'clock in the morning. Because that's what they decided yeah, to your do. Robot, your lonely robot is stuck in some Cormac McCarthy novel, wandering wandering down the road with a grocery cart. Quite a scene. <laughs> well, as long as the Roomba didn't escape to the beach, we're all good. Apparently, oh, they're God. not good on sand. Oh, no. I can't imagine. <laughs> that's probably enough, huh? Yeah, Merlin, thanks do, so do, much. Do, do you need more small and large? Do you need more small and large? Auto? You know no, what no, it no, is? No. Let me tell you this. I'm telling you, Alexa routines. Alexa routines are, sorry, Alexa, stop. (laughs) Lady in the tube routines, you know, rule everything around me. Yeah. Love it. Anyway, cut that out. Delirious. (laughs) (laughs) We'll we'll let you go eat then, Merlin. (laughs) I I do appreciate you coming in, talking some automation with us. It's always great talking to you. I still have to listen to last week's episode because just the show notes alone are very stimulating. I'm super interested to hear. So that would be uh, from your automators podcast, number 63, Home Automation, Wizardry and Nerd Out. Oh my God. I can't believe I haven't heard this yet. It's in my overcast, but I have not listened to it yet. Well, see, this is the thing. Rose lives alone, so she doesn't have to worry about getting divorced over the lights going on at 3 (laughs) a.m. Oh, wow. Sick burn. (laughs) So she has automation that we can only, you know, wish for. Oh man, I'm going to learn so much from this. Thank you guys. Thank you both so much for having me and for doing what you do. Um, 
you know, you, you're, you're the Sherpas. It's nobody's fault, but you're the Sherpas. <laughs> All right. Well, as long as somebody can stick something together with duct tape, or in my case, I used a binder clip to fix my kitchen lights. So you'll be pleased to have that update when you get to listen to the show. <laughs> Can't so. wait. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right, uh, folks, uh, Merlin, where should people go if they want to hear more of what you're doing? Let's see. You know, uh, folks who listen to this show, this is on Relay, right? Um, yeah. mm-hmm. You might enjoy the show that I do with uh, my worst friend, John Syracuse. It's called Reconcilable Differences, and we do it every couple of weeks on Relay. It's relay.fm slash rd. I do other things too, but please don't bother. Don't find me on the internet. But John Syracuse, everybody likes him better. He's got all those flying monkeys that are always defending him. Well, and we have had the Dubai Friday run here. We had Alex on as our last guest. Oh, so. right. That's a fun show. I love them. Uh, Alex is such a good friend. But, but you know, you know everybody, you know, uh, just, you know, let's be nice to each other. Let, let's get some automation. But, you know, reconcilable differences. God, I'm tired. <laughs> All right. Oh, my God. I got to go build a Hagrid. Thank you very Hagrid's much for hot, having I hope. me. Hagrid's hot. And it's got a, um, it's got a buck beak. And, uh, oh, boy, it's really we made a biplane yesterday and now we're going to move on to Hagrid. Ooh. Excellent. Ah, you're a wizard, Rose. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> As always, thanks to Merlin Mann for coming in and sharing some wisdom with us. Thank you to our sponsors today, Fast Grips, a Smile Software Setup, and the IntraZone by Microsoft SharePoint. We are the automators. You can find us over at relay.fm slash automators. You can find the automators website at automators.fm and those great automators forums at talk.automators.fm. I was trying to solve an automation problem the other day, Rose, and I did a Google search and I found the automators forum. Somebody had answered it there. I am not surprised. We have so many great people there, including Asylumer, who is the author of the Thought Asylum, a drafts library, which we mentioned in the show today. Yeah, we're going to get him on the show. Um, oh, yeah. But either way, uh, we're the automators and thanks for listening and we'll see you in a few weeks. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs>